Coaching Live from Tech Square in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for ATDC Radio, powered by Business Radio X. Now here's your host. Welcome to ATDC Radio. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor here with you. Lee, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the Business Radio X microphone, CEO and co-founder with Oncolens, Miss Anju Matthew. How have you been? I've been great. Thank you, Stone. Thank you, Lee. Thanks for having me back. Well, Anju, there's been some big news, right? Oncolens, uh, why don't you tell everybody we, uh, the award you recently were Yes, yes. We were named first among the top 40 most innovative companies. And then just last week, we were narrowed down to the top 10 most innovative companies in Georgia by the the Technology Association of Georgia, or TAG. And then we named you the top one here in this room. Congratulations on that. (laughs) That's perfect. I will take it. (laughs) Well, let's be clear. Now, before your last interview, you had not won this award. That's correct. Then you had the interview... Then you won the award. Uh, if I got my facts straight. I see. Yes, you do. <laughs> so I, you connect the dots. Yes. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Now I know. <laughs> so tell us uh, what's going on. Yeah, no. So I think we're making great progress. And, you know, we're thrilled to have been named as the top 10 most innovative companies in the in the state. Um, a lot of it is with the help, of course, of ATDC and various, um, in fact, in, including our customers within Georgia. So I'm very thrilled to be part of this community, uh, the mentorship here at ATDC. And as I mentioned, you know, there's just Atlanta Technology Angels, BIP Capital. These are all entities within the Georgia state of Georgia that are helping innovative companies like ours. Um, from a company standpoint, you know, we've made great progress, not just within Georgia, but also outside the state. So we are now live and running at uh, customer sites across 15 different states. Um, this is over a period of uh, two and a half years since we became generally available to the market. So very excited by the progress we're making and by some of the cool things that we're doing for cancer patients. So now talk about as a co-founder, how did you create a culture of innovation within the company? Yes. Um, I think fundamentally it has to start very much of being part of the culture. And that starts with being very closely aligned to the customer. So across the board, be it our customer success teams, our product teams, our development teams, listening very closely to the feedback that we get from our customers and then engaging with them to understand, okay, well, this is your pain point. Now we have this pain point. We're going to try and help solve this problem. And from there, then engaging back with them saying, well, this is our hypothesis and how we can help solve it and getting that ongoing feedback and working with them very closely. That is one of the things you will hear a lot about Oncolens from our customers, about the team that's a very supportive and very engaged team. Um, and well, many companies, you know, from my prior career as well, it, you, we all strive to be innovative, but it's very much, it has to be embedded within the culture. So listening, I think is a key factor, listening to your customers and making and treating them as partners as opposed to just customers. Now, when you were forming the company, was that something that you spent time on and you were trying to get right? Or is this just something that naturally evolved? Um, I would say, um, as co-founders of the company, that's something that we embedded in very early on. So rather than growing very quickly in the beginning, we wanted to make sure that our customers, as they got onboarded, were very, very happy. So, you know, that is, in fact, one of the struggles in the early life cycle of a company, a startup, is 
what should we do? Let's should we go for customer satisfaction, customer, um, you know, the customer just closely engaging with us, or let's start getting more and more traction within the market. We actually made that conscious decision that we have to make our current, our first set of customers very happy with us. And that's that was the the initiation, if you will, of making sure of embedding within our culture that we keep listening to our customers. So with that, then as we grew the customer support team and as also the development team and the product teams, that that culture, it just got embedded into the culture of listening closely and making sure they're very happy with what we're giving them. And then that required patience on your mm-hmm. part. Of, instead of just put the pedal to the ground, you were saying, hey, let's be very mindful of this and let's get this part right. Yes. And then build on this stronger foundation. That is very right. Yes. Well, again, in the early days, especially when you have only so much bandwidth, um, it was a conscious decision to say, well, we're not going after sales at this point of time or additional sales. We're going to make sure we get these right. And then as we still, then we'll slowly keep adding on sales. Now, was that something on your internal team at that point uh, that everybody was in agreement with? Or is this a point of there was friction in terms of, hey, let's, we need more sales? Like, you know, how to create that balance? Um, not so much. No, I think uh, everybody understood the goals. I mean, that's, again, just as we listen to our customers, um, I, I like to say that we have that culture of internal respect and listening within the team. Um, and so, you know, for others who wanted to understand where we were, well, like, why aren't we going building out the sales organization even faster? Um, it was a matter of having that discussion to say, well, no, we we have to get a few things right. Let's get the infrastructure right here first, right? We don't want to get to a point where you don't have the right reputation in the market because coming back from that point is much harder. Right. right so. And culture is one of those things. It's going to happen whether you prepare for it or not, mm-hmm. right? There's going to be a culture. That is. So you yes. might as well be mindful and try to create as strong a foundation as possible. That's correct. Yes. So now as you move forward, how has the company evolved in your mind as you've kind of grown? Yeah, so um, in multiple ways, you know, from a product standpoint and from a technological solution standpoint, we have evolved from where we started. So early on, we were very much a tumor board platform, which is a platform that helps for collaboration across, you know, cancer patient cases, right? And so bringing all the necessary providers, so be it medical oncologists, radiation oncologists and others to the table so they can make the best decision for that patient. Um, so bringing efficiency to that collaborative discussion, that was the core of what we did. And then from there, though, by listening to our customers, we've evolved on that. Now we have a layer of clinical decision support that basically will clearly delineate to our providers that say, well, these are the clinical trials that are most applicable to this patient. Mm-hmm. These are the evidence-based guidelines you should be considering for that patient. These are the quality metrics you should consider. Um, what is it in the latest precision medicine solutions or personalized medicine solutions you should be considering for those patients. So we have evolved with our customers, listening to, again, what they feel is necessary to, for them to make the best decision for the patient. And so our product has evolved from there. Um, and alongside that, now as we've, you know, we, we feel that we have been able to build a, a very strong sense of customer satisfaction. We have very high NPS scores. Um, and now it is a matter of just building awareness in the market and, you know, growing from there. And then how do you kind of get the word out right now to the market? 
Um, various tools. We use uh, different marketing techniques, including PR like this. Um, but we also have, um, you know, thought leadership that is very key in the specific market that we are at. So you're speaking at conferences and things like that. Right. Or, but it could also be, you know, it's case studies specifically on how we were able to solve a problem for a particular cancer center. Um, so some examples of that were just how we brought efficiency to various cancer programs, right? So typically what we do is for like a tumor board discussion, something that used to take on average 10 hours of preparation time, we've reduced that to less than an hour. So getting that case study out there to our base is important. And our base is actually very um, in tune with thought leadership. They like to read more. They like to see how they can make things better. So now when you tell them, you can say uh, it was 10 hours now, it's less than an hour. Is that something that sounds too good to be true? Um, it does sometimes, but we have the data to back it up. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and like I said, we have multiple case studies and customer references that can back it up. But, you know, we've, we've been thrilled by the, by the uh, um, results that we've got. And has anything surprised you in the growth of the company? Uh, that's a great question. Um, Anything that was un like some uh, something up appeared that maybe you didn't see coming. Uh, I would, I won't say it's been surprising. I mean, there are challenges as there are in any industry. The healthcare industry in itself, you know, just has a long sales right. cycle, and the yeah. it, and it's always changing. Exactly, Even the things you planned for two years ago. It right. could be a different landscape in two years from now. Yes, yes. And um, that's why, again, it is very important for us to be innovative and to stay in front. More competition has entered into the market, which is a good thing. We, I think, combined, we help to build awareness about what can be done. Right. Um, but it also makes it more important to be even more innovative and keep it a step, keep a step ahead. Now, is this something that the actual patient sees? Is it visible to the patient or is this something that happens only kind of at the hospital or the tumor board level? As of today, it's not directly visible to the patient, right? But they get the indirect benefit in that all the relevant information around that patient is being discussed in that multidisciplinary setting with all the relevant information to back up that decision. What happens in today's world is um, if you're a cancer patient and you're being discussed, your case is being discussed at a tumor board, there is a struggle to pull together the relevant data just around your case because the data is in different silos. Mm -hmm. We bring that together automatically. But then on top of that, because of our clinical decision layer, we eliminate that lack of standardization. So we're bringing standardization to the discussion, uh, making sure that, yes, the providers are considering all the various options, be it a clinical trial or be it a different type of biopsy or a different type of treatment that is just being newly approved by um, the FDA. On average, the market just lags behind seven years. So it takes seven years on average for a community-based physician to be sufficiently aware of a newly diagnosed, uh, newly available diagnostic or treatment option for a cancer patient. So we're trying to close that gap. So for a patient, again, indirectly, if our platform is there, um, we're closing that gap in terms of what are the options that are available. So at least the providers know, okay, these were our options. And now they have to make that final decision for the patient. But it's more of an informed decision because they're almost getting this data in real time of these are the options that are available as opposed to this is what I remember That's was correct. available. Exactly. Exactly. So now um when you were any advice for the person in healthcare that it has a startup in navigating these kind of tricky waters? 
Um, great question. I think um, there's a couple of things. One is to get some early engagement with some customers, right? Health systems and um, or hospitals and working closely with them to build out that solution because the workflow, especially in healthcare, the workflow you're embedding yourself into is very important. If you go too far off track, this is a customer base or industry that does not accept it. So that close engagement and utilizing your initial customers as partners, I think is very key to this process. And work within their existing kind of the way they do, do things, things yes. rather than be so disruptive, even though it might be way better, right? they won't take the leap with you. That's right. Try for the evolution as opposed to a revolution. revolution. Yep. So now what was the catalyst for you to um, uh, go out on your own and start this? Because you were working with large kind right. of established firm. That's right. Um I would say it was the customer. Yeah. So we knew yeah, between my co-founder and I, we knew there was an existing issue. But again, in terms of how pressing an issue it was, we weren't, we hadn't uh, explored it that much. Um, but we were, you know, we're part, being part of this industry, we were part of those conversations. And in fact, we had two hospitals here in the Atlanta area that just, you know, we were having conversations with them and said, this is a humongous struggle. We're talking about the delivery of quality cancer care to patients. Um, these multidisciplinary discussions are very important, but we can't do it. We don't have the resources to do it. And so patients are going to miss out. Um, and so from there, it was really what we were trying to do at that point of time between my co-founder and I was to solve the problem for this first this hospital and then the second hospital. And from there, we saw the benefits. And then again, listening to the customer very closely, we said, okay, well, we understand this. There is a significant market that we can serve. So, did you leave your job for this yes. venture at that point that they raised their hand and said, "Hey, this is a problem I'd like you to solve"? Um, no, I left it a little bit after until we got some more market validation. <laughs> so, my co-founder was kind of leading uh, the front there, and um, yes, but it was just sitting with them and seeing, okay, this is how we can we can figure it out, and it's going with the lean startup model of saying, okay, well, let's see if this can be solved, mm -hmm. um, and the market will accept it. And so, um, yes, it is once we got validation and saw that how much of a benefit that we could bring, that is when I personally made that decision to leave. Now, at what point did you say, um, I think I want to learn more about ATDC and, and have them kind of be a, they're a partner in, in some ways? Yep. Um, this was actually through indirect connections. Uh, first met with Richard Nelly, and he introduced me then to Jane McCracken. And then ever since then, you know, Jane has been a great mentor to me. Um, so she's the one who introduced me and brought me into ATDC. And, um, so I you loved weren't it aware since. of it in your previous life? I was. So my first startup was in the cancer space as well, but that was 10 years ago and ATDC was nothing like what it is today. Right. Yeah. And then, so uh, when you went out on your own, it didn't occur to you, oh, let me just plug back in ATDC. It took the Jane and... Yes, it did. Yeah. And then now that you've been here for a minute or so, how have you enjoyed ATDC? I have very much loved it. Um, we actually took office space only more than a year ago, a little bit more than a year ago, but I was a part of ATDC now for more than two years. Um, and a lot of it is just, to me, has been the mentorship and the guidance that you get from people like Jane and Frank and others. Um, just the introductions, helping you time when you need to go out for funding, understand what some of the challenges and just learning from the other companies here. Now, did they help in any way with funding? Um, through introductions, through yes, introductions. and planning, yep. And then you mentioned BIP Capital. How do they come into play in this? 
Yeah, so they are our investor, one of our investors. They came in in the seed round as well as in our latest pre-series A round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then how have you found working with them? It's been good. I think, um, you know, with every partner, there's always some challenges and there's always some benefits. And um, no, I've very much enjoyed having them as part of the board. Again, they have experience you know, building, uh, helping to build companies like ours. Um, and I think just that cross learning is very important when you look for a venture capital partner. Now, any advice for the um, other entrepreneurs out there when they are looking for a VC partner? What would you say are some do's and don'ts? Yeah. I think a key one would be don't just look for a financial partner. Look for a partner who can help you strategically. Like so connections can, or um, access to markets and things like that. That That's correct. And including having an understanding of your space. So what are some of the challenges you're going to face and how can you preempt those? Um, yeah, I think there's that, that field or market knowledge is very important. And that's something that um, some entrepreneurs may think that, hey, I don't... Uh, I just need the money. Yeah. You know, I'll figure the rest out. Yeah. But it's a missed opportunity to not really leverage all all that uh, the VC can bring to the table. I agree. I mean, there's only so much you know, and that's the thing about business, right? There are so many factors that can come at you that you, you probably haven't seen before. And then um, what do you need more of right now? Um, well, right now, it's uh, we are in a very strong hiring spree, and so it's connections into potential candidates uh, across the board. So development, uh, sales, um, implementation, so across pretty much all functions. And so we're looking for uh, candidates and great people who are out there who can help grow a very exciting team. And then is, has ATDC helped in that area? I would imagine access to talent would be one of their benefits as well. Yes, yes. So again, through the mentors of the EIRs here, um, definitely connecting into their networks have been very helpful. And if somebody wanted to learn more, what's the coordinates? Um, so we're info at oncolens.com. So you can just email us directly to find out more about what job openings we have. Um, and then uh, you can also reach out to me personally at anju at oncolens.com, A-N-J-U. And oncolens.com is the website. That's correct. All right. Well, keep up the good work. Congratulations on the award. Hey, stay with us. We're going to visit with some more guests, all right? Sounds good. All right. Thank you. All right. Next up on ATDC Radio this afternoon, it's Nakia. Melissio. Melissio. Yes. Well, welcome back, man. It's impressive. You know, you've been here once and yes. you said, yes, I'll come again. Absolutely. So we must have done something <laughs> right. Huh? You sure did. Just great conversation, man. <laughs> or, or I just wanted to see your face again. Uh, <laughs> so what have you been up to since we talked to you last? Oh, my God. I just... <laughs> From ATDC to NSF to working with students to city stuff to governments, I'm just all over the place and just trying to still find that balance between work and life. I still haven't found it yet, but uh, I'm still looking. (laughs) Hopefully I can find it soon because sometimes I feel like I just need like two weeks of a nap uh, (laughs) instead of like 30 minutes. So, so get us caught back up, uh, your role and, uh, what you're out there trying to do for folks on a day to day basis. Yeah. So my, my role has changed since the last time I was on the air with you. Man, um, if you uh, don't get to them every week, this is what happens. <laughs> I know all world. kinds of good stuff out, right? Yeah. So, um, last time I was here, I went from, uh, I was a mentor, um, and now I'm on staff as one of the catalysts. Um, so I've, uh, worked with full time, a cook, uh, Companies assigned to me and coaching them as well. So, um, so my day to day responsibilities here at ATDC is coaching, um, companies, managing all the mentors, 
um, and then managing the educate program, which we have about 600 companies in there. And so right now I'm kind of uh, disrupting the uh educate curriculum a little bit to kind of give uh, some of the ATDC educate members a little better flavor and um, push them to really building some uh, high growth, high net worth startups. And that's what the overall objective is as it relates to that. And so it all starts with good content, good content and good programming related to that. And then regarding the content, um, you talk a lot about customer discovery. Yes. Is that uh, one of your superpowers? Yes, that is one of my superpowers, <laughs> the customer discovery process. And then why is that so important to startups? Yeah, because it's it's the it's the entry point to the market. It's the entry point for you being able to understand um, who your customer is. Um, and customer discovery is a good way to kind of unpack that um, and give you the opportunity to make sure that you are, in fact, in the right market. Um, and customer discovery is a good entry point to figuring that out. And what are some mistakes that uh, if, a, if a company isn't focused on customer discovery, what are some kind of uh, rabbit holes that you've seen them go through? Yeah, so I'll speak from the researcher side of it. Um, a lot of scientists and engineers and students come into the customer discovery process with a bias. Hey, I know my technology. Hey, I'm smart. Hey, I know what I'm doing. Hey, I've been working on it in the lab. So surely somebody wants this high-grade sensor for uh, jet propulsion. Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm going to go to Walmart and get two of them. You know, so, um, so, so. So they, in their head, have found this magic pill. Correct. And then they're like, I got it. And then correct. they just are heads down working on that and yep. perfecting it yep. without getting any kind of. Without talking to customers. Validation from any customer. Spot on. Absolutely. They go out. So and you've make... seen this happen with your eyes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny having to just put the pin in that balloon and just watch it first. Like nobody cares about what you think. You know, it's the market that cares about what you think. Um, and finding a big enough, repeatable enough problem and pain and then building a business model around that to be able to scale um, and then couple that with the pricing and the strategy behind getting to additional markets, um, that's a hard thing. That's not a very easy um, task, but customer discovery is the initial And it may not point. be intuitive. Like Correct. Even if you found the magic pill and the customer loves it and you go, it costs a million dollars, and they'll be like, well, I'll pay $1,000. Right. You still, it's the same miss, right? Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I, I think to that point, though, I think if if there is a – you know, a market that they do think is relevant to their technology. Some of them think, well, hey, I've done enough research. And, but I said, let's really pull back a little bit because you may find another market. Um, you may find another market in, cust in customer discovery, another subsegment that may fit that pricing model that you just described. Um, so it's, 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 me as the coach or the mentor is to see the blind spots um, for the entrepreneur um, and to make sure that they are, in fact, doing customer discovery in the right way and how to dissect those insights and how to incorporate those insights into actionable business model and how to actually move forward on it. Now, how is a, a mentor catalyst in this regard? Do you prevent yourself from being kind of biased? Like, cause something might look like a great idea or not a great idea, but ultimately no one knows until the market kind of tells you. Yeah. So we as catalysts kind of wear a balance, uh, have, have a balance there 
So we may have a company that comes in and says, hey, I do know that there is a market for it. And I may have said, hey, I've worked with 20 other startups in this market and none of them were successful. And you're doing the exact same thing that they're doing. Um, So where is that differentiator between you and what these other 20 um, companies? Um, And so sometimes it's kind of like, well, let's kind of slow down and speed up and kind of let's look at it a little differently. Um, who all did you talk to and who else do you need to talk to? And maybe we can kind of do a pivot here and maybe your technology might have a better application um, for a different market as opposed to um, the market that you're thinking about. And I'll have have an example without kind of going too deep into their IP. Um, The last NSFI core team that I was on, um, they came up with a competitional model for media feeding strategies to – for cells, which helps cells grow in CAR-T, for instance. Um, the biopharma had interest in more cells. More cells mean more product. More product means more money. Um, what we found out was is that the tool that they had had to be validated in preclinical before it got to phase one. So when FDA approves the process or a new drug, they approve the whole process. If you were trying to introduce their product in say phase one, you were not likely to get your tool or your technology in. So your tool would have had to have been approved through the entire process for it to be adopted. And so that was one of the things that we unpacked in customer discovery. Now we were able to say, okay, do we want to wait 10 years for that to happen or five years or however long it was going to take? So they found um, another market in the clean meat industry. They use cell lines. They use the same process. They use bioreactors. They use all the same processes that you use in cell manufacturing and cell extraction. So we were able to find a customer there, low barrier of entry, low regulation, and they were not as risk averse. But that's just an example of me being able to coach them to say, okay, hey, let's think of a different market. I know you had this initial market, but here's a better market. Now, do you find that um, people uh, initially go too broad or too narrow when they're deciding on the appropriate customer? Depends on the technology. Um, If it's very specific, then you'll be narrow. If it's something that can have multiple applications, we encourage them to start out very broad, and then they eventually will um, narrow if they're doing customer discovery in the right context. And – has there been a time when you've been coaching uh, a team and then they were right and you were wrong? That they were right and I was wrong? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times. <laughs> I won't tell you. <laughs> but, but, yeah, there a lot of times, of course. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's, you know, I have to kind of wear multiple hats in the coaching equation because it's the investor may want one thing. The company wants something different. The market says something different and then finding balance in between all of that and bringing alignment so that you can have that hyper growth, that hyper scale, a company that can grow. Sometimes that's a a challenge. So sometimes my opinion or my feedback may conflict with one of those specific things, whether it be an investor, whether it be the market or whether it might be the entrepreneur. And what's the most rewarding part of the job for you? Oh, man, to see the smiles on their face, the win, you know. I mean, in this world of startup, people always ask you, do you sleep? I was like, no, no one sleeps in the world of startup. Are you crazy? Mm-hmm. You know, we take these five-minute micro naps mm-hmm. here and there. You know, we doze off and fall off our chair. No, so the win for me is just um, seeing when that aha moment, that 
light bulb goes off in their head, you know, where it's like, I get it, you know, where they actually see a path to market, where they see that this technology can take off, can grow, can scale, and they're getting the traction and, and it's translating into customers and, and all that and seeing that moment to see them win. Um, that's when I know I did my job. Because that must be the most frustrating part for the entrepreneur is feeling they have something and then kind of banging their head against a wall. Right. And then if you can show them a path to, okay, stop banging over here, bang over right. here. And then right. all of a sudden the door. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the deeper the technology, the more regulations, the more, the harder it is to get to market mm -hmm. because there are so many hurdles that they have to kind of jump and leap and things that they have to kind of uh, go through to get their product to market. Um, and these things affect scale. They affect pricing. They affect valuation. They affect everything. Um, and so you have to think of the technology in the ecosystem as a whole and where you fit into it. Are you enhancing it? Are you disrupting it? Are you, are you a bottleneck in it? Um, and all of those things can kind of be, uh, a challenge sometime for the entrepreneur that they don't, they may have the technical skills, but they don't have the business skills to be able to navigate, um, some of those landmines. And that's where, um, we come in as coaches and catalysts and mentors, um, and to see them get it. And so there's a bit of a teaching process too. Um, in it as well to make sure not, it's not one thing for me just to give them the advice, but to make sure that I'm curating an environment to where they understand specifically what I'm saying. Um, and when they're having the conversations with investors of market or specialty folks that they can make sure, um, they're addressing, um, the problems that are before them. So, uh, Nakia left the gate open. And another catalyst snuck in here. Why <laughs> <laughs> well, gotta lock yeah. the door? <laughs> Please welcome to the show, Miss Brandy Nagel. How are you? Hey, I'm happy to see everyone. It's been too long I since know. we have done this. I know. I think. <laughs> yeah. How about you? What have you been up to lately? Oh gosh. Well, last week I had a great experience. I taught the customer discovery class here at ATDC, and I don't get a chance to do that very often. And it reminded me how much fun it was to work with high-tech entrepreneurs who've got their idea, and they know there's something there, but they haven't figured it out yet. And so that's what brought me in today was yeah. to talk a little bit more about that. And then, um, so you're dealing with, uh, this is at the educate level? It is at the educate level. So these are people with ideas that could be on a napkin like this hasn't been proven yet. At You know, ATDC has uh, different levels for uh, the entrepreneur, and this is kind of at the earliest stage level, right? Yeah, that's where I like to work with entrepreneurs is that early level where they've got the idea and the passion, but they haven't quite figured it all out yet. That's fun for me. So now um, give me your pitch for that entrepreneur that hasn't engaged with ATDC yet. Like why should they kind of plug into the ecosystem here? Oh, it's easy for me. I just say most startups fail, <laughs> yeah. but with ATDC, they fail less often. Yes. It's, it's one of the greatest resources we have in the state of Georgia as an economic development engine, as a resource for entrepreneurs, as a way to commercialize deep tech and, and science. So now, um, what do you need more of in terms of uh, people participating in Educate? Do you need them to be the college per kid that's out there and has an idea within college? Or you need them to be the more veteran? Maybe they're in a career path and they pivot to something entrepreneurial? Gosh, I like to talk with all kinds of entrepreneurs. So yes to the college student and ATDC Educate is open to all college students at no charge. 
So I love that. There's a, they just there need no to, excuses there. There's Any, no excuses. I, if you right? have an idea, just come to something at ATDC to see any validation of any kind. Absolutely. And my own experience is that entrepreneurs in a, in that young age group where they're in the habit of going to school, ATDC educate fits very easily in for them because they're in the habit of studying and doing assignments. Not everyone else is, (laughs) but I meet other kinds of entrepreneurs all the time. Anyone from early and mid-career to people who've just recently retired from something or they're making a career change. And they all bring something different. Sometimes it's they're bringing fresh eyes to an industry or they're bringing decades of experience to an industry. Everyone's got something. Everyone's got something that they bring with their idea that makes them the right person to move it forward. So now how does ATDC uh, work with some of these underserved markets that maybe – don't know that there's these resources available. Well, you know, this is important to me in particular. I've been funded to do work at a number of universities and colleges around the around Georgia. So I've been out to Albany State University, Morehouse, Spelman, Clark Atlanta University, Morehouse School of Medicine, and Georgia State University. And uh, those are all minority-serving institutions. ATDC works with Everyone in the state of Georgia, it's taxpayers' money. What we really specialize in, though, is working with the person who's got that deep tech or that deep science, something or other, the thing that it's not obvious how you're going to take it to market. It's not something that you're going to find an automatic price list if you Google, right? Right. Those are the things where ATDC really has something to offer. There are a number of other really wonderful programs that fit together with ATDC. So I'll give a shout out to my friend Joey Womack at the Intentionally Good Project. Mm -hmm. Tiffany Bussey at Morehouse College is doing amazing work. Even James Lillard and his crew over at Morehouse School of Medicine, they're all doing amazing things in the community. And ATDC can just be part of that. It's additive. We're not in competition. Right. And then um, it's a way to collaborate with all these different groups. There's something for everyone. Yeah. Here. Yeah. So now when you um, did this customer discovery for, you said it's been a while since you did that one for the educate group. Yeah. And then I had so, the opportunity to do it last week. Yeah. Right. So then what was it like? Did Were there different questions? Were there different challenges or is, is it the same kind of thinking now? It was largely the same. Part of the fun of teaching that class is you don't know who's going to be in the audience. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you've got um, a handful of students, and what they're focused on are startups that address the problems that they experience in their everyday life. Right, so it was a personal thing for them. Very personal. Very consumer-oriented typically. Not always, but very often. Uh, but what we had in last week were some very different kinds of things. There was a med tech that addressed a very specific kind of problem in a very sophisticated way. And we had one person who said, um, I'm not actually solving a problem. Uh, I said, you're not? And she said, well, I'm solving a problem, but my customer doesn't know they have it. Ah, that's really a different situation than, you know, how do you do customer discovery if your customer doesn't know that they've got right. this problem, Right. So how do you do that? 
Well, you have to figure out what the problem is or what the need is. Maybe it's not a problem. Maybe it's a need. Uh, so maybe the way to say it is things like, um, you know, fashion, art, some of those kinds of consumer-oriented things. They don't always solve a, an obvious problem, but they meet a need. Sometimes it's the the need for beauty or or status seeking or it might be self-actualization or something. We look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and see how do we map what we're offering to what people might actually need. Now, when you're talking to um, the that customer, when they're doing the discovery part of this, how do you kind of help them determine that their product is a must have for their customer as opposed to a nice to have, you know, which can make the difference between success and failure a lot of time. That's just customer discovery. You got to talk to the people. It takes a little time. Don't you think Nikia? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and back to the point that you were asking about new markets, um, especially if you're bringing something to market that's new, innovative, that's no one knows about. Um, there's a lot of education around that. There is a lot of, you know, getting customers to kind of, uh, you know, see why they actually need that particular product or service or solution. Um, you can do some observational customer discovery to see how they're currently doing or using an existing solution that's similar or like that particular uh, market. So, yeah, so there's some things uh, that you can do um, to address those specific things. I feel like if that left unchecked, <laughs> I would have a tendency to ask very weighted questions, maybe not even intentionally. You know, I'd be like, how do you feel about all of these marvelous stories that traditional media is ignoring? <laughs> and don't you think there should be a business radio platform? <laughs> and that's not really, that's not serving me, right? You got to go in, you've got to do a, you've got to ask more objective right. questions, right? Are, are you saying that you might be more of a salesman? <laughs> I think maybe. Than an interrogator? <laughs> but that's important, right? You can't, you've got to try to, to be more objective. Than that when you you're, can't lead the witness, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, that is hard. And for some people, it's harder than others. So, But we have some techniques around that. Mm-hmm. So one thing is you may try to flip your question so that you're trying to ask about the opposite. Mm-hmm. That might help because biases are normal and we're excited about our own ideas. So, of course, that's going to come through in customer discovery. But we've got some techniques to help you think about how to ask questions differently or even if I can't ask you directly because I might think that you're not going to answer me honestly, I might ask indirectly and say, so if you think about your friends and family, what do you think they would do about this or what have they done in the past? And and you can ask about past behaviors instead of just opinions. Sometimes that helps too. But how, how do you kind of uh, determine if they're saying, yeah, I, I love that idea and yeah, here's money for that idea. Like, you know, a lot of people think yeah, that's something's two different a good idea, <laughs> but when it's time to write a check, they're not so quick to write the check. We are looking for buying signals, but yes. yeah, you have to do enough customer discovery and get enough data mm-hmm. that you can sort through false, false positives mm-hmm. and get to the real data. And uh, mm-hmm. as Nakia mentioned also sometimes, the thing that you're asking about might not be where you end up with. And, and Nakia has seen this a dozen times. I have a just a brief example. 
a team wanted to create an app and give it away for free, the feedback that they got was, if it's free, no one will value it. What you really need to do is sell it to our boss and sell it for $10,000 per experience. And, and that was the business model going forward. Free was meaningless. Ten grand a pop was meaningful. Yeah, yeah. You have to be a little bit um, surgical and intentional with customer discovery. And what do I mean by that? It's like, who are you talking to and why are you talking to that specific person? And what is their specific problem or pain that they're trying to solve? And who in that organization, we like to use terminologies like day in the life of the customer. What is What does their workflow look like? Um, if you have just, just I like to use engine, you know, jet engines and airplanes because I just love airplanes and I love mentoring and working with companies that are in that space. So if someone says, "Hey, I have a product that goes into a jet engine, but yet I don't know who to sell to," so I'm going to go talk to the CEO. My first question is: Is why are you talking to the CEO? Why are you not talking to the to the engineer or to the plant manager or the buying person buying the products or you know see the, you know you got to get to the who is has the real problem right the with boots the, on the ground yeah, of the boots who's on the dealing ground. with this every day right so the natural assumption is is to default to oh well I'm going to talk to the CEO right. or the CFO because they know everything because they everything. know everything mm-hmm. about everything and they're only going to do is say well here talk to this person we're going to talk to this person right so you have to they figure don't know it. how the engine works <laughs> right they have no clue how the engine <laughs> works and so you have to talk to the person that has the problem and has the pain and that's kind of how you get to um, but not just that. You have to make sure that your questions are very specific, and you have to know what you're looking for when you go into that interview um, and how to take that insight and dissect it and say, okay, if we talk to 20 jet me- mechanics. We talk to 20 manufacturers. We talk to um, 20 uh distributors and see who has the problem in that value chain. Cause it may be the mechanic. It may be the manufacturer. You don't know, but until you talk to the people to really get an understanding who has the problem in that value chain, but keeping in mind that as you're building out your business model and understanding your customer segment and the value that you bring, your customer has a business model and have a value proposition right. and you have to be in line with them for that and, acquisition. Or that and they've co- existed without you for a while. Right. Now. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. It's a see the value. And right. then you find enough of those people that have a problem and the pain that you're trying to solve. And that's where the, so you don't stop happens. at the first one that agrees with you. No, 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 that, that's silly. <laughs> then that, you know. it sounds like work. Then you're asking them to go right. contact hundreds of them in right. order to get the twenty. Right. Exactly. Oh yeah, it's dreadful. <laughs> it, oh, it's dreadful. Right. So Steve Blank, who's really the founder of this customer discovery model, says uh, the first twenty interviews that you do are really you learning how to do the interviews. Right. Those are practice. That's practice. Mm-hmm. And right. then my own observation is that, that first twenty interviews is sometimes how you get through all the people you know. <laughs> right. The right. people who don't want to hurt your feelings. Right. Now you get to the hard ones at twenty one. <laughs> right. So it takes about sixty interviews in our experience to get enough data that you can start to see some patterns emerge. Mm-hmm. And then Steve Blank will say Easily 200 interviews for a consumer product. Wow. That's a lot of work. It yeah. is work, but it's preventing failure. So it's it's worth it to do it. And then what are some clues of a product market fit? So what's 
What I take to be a good signal is when I will say to an entrepreneur, tell me what you're up to. And they'll say, my customer is this kind of a person. And they've got a good level of detail, not just gender and where that person lives, but they can say something more meaningful than that. And then when they say, and then this person wants, and they explain something in the customer's voice, when they start talking about it, I can just hear from the the words that they choose that they've they've figured something they've figured something out. Now that doesn't mean that they necessarily have product market fit, but it's a really good signal for me as an educator. And then what else do you see, Nakia, that convinces yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So, well, one of them is you've got wide scale adoption, <laughs> and everyone's talking about wow. your product and your service, and they're looking for you. Um, but it's product hitting mark, product market fit is a lot harder than people think. Um, you typically don't hit product market fit till like two, three years, maybe four years in. And there's companies that are very well funded that have a hard time hitting product market fit. And we know a few of them. I won't mention them one here, um, that had some really inflated evaluations and, you know, and just didn't turn out too well. But product market fit is for me is you have found a, a group of people on a global scale that consistently want to consume your product and you have uniquely matched up all of your values and features to their wants and their values and their features. And it's a seamless process of adoption. It is a seamless process for growth. It's a seamless process for scale. That's my definition. I'm not saying someone else may give you a very different, um, but there are some indicators there that says that you do have product market fit. And it's usually a really good marriage between you and the consumer. And in um, order to get to that end point, it didn't start at that end point. It went no. through a lot of iterations and Correct. changes from both Correct. sides to be truly collaborative. Correct. So that you really understood the customer so Correct. that you can match your service or product to Correct. the customer. Correct. Yeah. Cause you can have solution market fit and, and you know, and you have a product and you're solving a problem that it's low level and it works and there's some adoption to it. But when you're talking of having mass scale adoptions, um, that gets that leads to that point of product market fit. That takes time. Takes time. Takes a lot of capital. Um, takes a lot of you know heads nodding. Say yes, we will do this. We, yeah, we will adopt you. So that takes that takes time um, and building out a company. Um, I always tell companies build with the end in mind, and every decision you make along that process reflects that end. Um, whether you're trying to IPO, be acquired, just stay in an M&A, get private equity, all of that. All of those are very different paths. And I think that the decisions you make along that path will reflect um, the direction that you're heading from a startup to this global company that everyone must have your specific service. Um, those are decisions that have to be made, and you have to have the team to be able to have the four vision, to be able to make those decisions with you. And then you have to have the capital and have cap, not just capital, but smart money, not dumb money. Cause you can have dumb money with no vision and they don't know how to lead you. They're just giving you a bunch of advice as opposed to smart money that understands regulators, that understands markets, that understands global scale, that understands how to truly drive your business to the next level. Um, so there has to be a synergy between all of those things to really help that company get to a place of product market fit. And if there's an entrepreneur out there that uh, wants to learn more about the ATDC way and learn to be ninjas at customer discovery <laughs> from you guys. Come uh, see me and Brandy. <laughs> We're the customer discovery ninjas. <laughs> for where sure. should they go? Um, ATDC.org is the first place mm -hmm. um, where they start. Um, and they can come in through the educate level. 
Um, and it's only a hundred bucks a year. It's twenty five dollars a no quarter. Excuses. No excuses. And if you're in college, it's free. Yeah, yeah. it's free. Right. If you're in college, it's free or free ninety nine. Free ninety nine. There's the price. Free ninety nine is the real price. <laughs> so yeah. Good stuff. Well, thank you both for the work that you're doing and uh, for helping people get to the next level and fail less. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio.